Welcome, Alan Williams, to the CAM Marketing Save the Planet podcast. It's wonderful to have you here. I'm going to introduce you, Alan. You are the founder and CEO of Service Brand Global Limited, also the founder of the Global Values Alliance and UK Values Alliance Steering Group member, and part of the team that organises World Values Day, which is actually October the 21st, but you encourage everybody to celebrate those values from the 1st of October to the 31st of October. So wonderful to have you here. Thanks, Michelle and Gemma. Great to be here. So let's start with your book, The Values Economy, How to Deliver Purpose-Driven Service for Sustained Performance. And I suppose a good starting couple of questions for you is how you came to write the book. Clearly, you've got a huge backstory here with the values uh, aspect, but how you came to write the book, what you wanted to deliver through the book, and what is the values economy? Yeah, great questions to start with. So uh, how we came to write the book, I've been working in business for 20 odd years with values. And I have known that the approach that I've used in numerous different sectors and environments and settings has been successful. But I've never really taken time to spell that out. And so I thought this was a great opportunity to do exactly that. So to create a book that would be a guide for people to be able to convert their business or fine-tune their business to be truly values-driven. You know, there is a lot talked about in the value space. Probably I've seen it grow over the last five years, and it's become a bit of a trendy topic these days. But for me, what's really important is that companies are true to what they say they believe in, rather than it just be this kind of PR gloss. So that's how the book came about. Um, uh, Another side story to that is that my previous books I had co-authored. I'm much better working with other people than on my own. Uh, But this one, I was kind of thinking, well, who on earth am I going to invite or interest in in co-authoring this with me? And you know that time when you're kind of partly asleep and nearly waking up that that time? Mm my youngest son just came to me because uh, he graduated with a first-class degree honours in international business. Uh, He's in his first consulting job now with a company. And I thought, Sam, he's the one. And and the beauty of uh, co-authoring it with him is that I thought for the reader, it would give this multi-generational perspective, which uh, is much more interesting than listening to an old guy. <laughs> so so that, that's how the book came about. Uh, in terms of what we wanted to achieve with it, it, it really is this very practical tool to help people um, put in place a values-driven organisation. And the final question, remind me? What, what is the values economy? Oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> you know, just that little question there, Alan. Yeah. So the, the values economy, uh, we, we describe as being driven by three factors. There are probably a number of other factors that have an influence in some way, but we think that it comes down to these three ultimately. So the first is choice. People are now making choices based on a very different approach than previously. So it used to be 
that people made choices on kind of very rational or financial grounds. You know, what's the value of this thing? I'm going to get the best deal. That was it. Whereas now people are making choices more based on what's important to them, what they believe in, or their values. And I think a brilliant example of this is fair trade. You know, some people are willing to spend, let's say, a 20% premium on something because they believe in the way that it's got to the shelf. So choice is the first C. The second one is communication. So the world has been revolutionized by the internet and social media. And we are now able to communicate our thoughts and feelings to millions of people all over the world in a heartbeat, whereas previously we couldn't do that. So communication has been an absolute game changer. And then finally, the third C is control. And it used to be that organizations would decide what they wanted to be seen as, they would articulate that, they would hire PR companies, advertising companies, marketing companies to push that message out there, and they would cross their fingers and shut their eyes and hope that they'd be able to persuade a number of people. I don't believe that's any longer the case. And now, organizations are not what they say they are, but instead, they're what others say they are. And so the control dimension has shifted. And we talk about how organizations now uh, the brand is actually co-owned by the different stakeholders of an organization. So those three C's, choice, communication, and control, combine to form this perfect storm, which we refer to as the values economy. That's really interesting. I, and I love the fact that you wrote the book with your son and, and, and gaining that different perspective, because, you know, I think more and more, we need those different perspectives. We need the diversity in organizations, we, if you, you're never going to meet your true needs and your true objectives if you don't understand what everybody's saying. And I was reading a report the other day um, from First Insight on the state of consumer spending, and it shows very clearly that Gen Z and millennials are more likely to purchase based on values. And then, you know, baby boomers and above and the silent generation, not so much, but I'm, and I wonder whether because it's an age thing and how long you're going to be left, you know, on the planet drives that. So, and also the generations, the younger generations, they, they are shopping what they're calling re-commerce. So the secondary markets, um, upcycled and recycled and swapping and, and so forth. And interestingly, you um, reading your chapter about um, values and value-based consumers, um, I was just wondering, you know, the driving factor seems to be quality, but I like the, I like the way you present the whole case around the fact that price is still a factor. The values of the organization are still a factor. But what are your views around this action intention gap? Because there are lots of different other pieces of, you know, information out there and research and insights, which suggest that, you know, it's not always the case that what you would like to do versus what you actually do can be quite different. Yeah, I think you, you've hit the nail on the head there, because sometimes in this value space, people tend to kind of position it as this panacea of loveliness. Mm. And, you know, if we're values driven, everything will be all good. Uh, I, I think I, I take a much more practical view around values and think that values are, excuse the pun, but valuable in helping us to navigate what is 
a pretty dirty, messy life most of the time. Um, and to your point around the gap between intention and action, if you think about the last uh, period of the pandemic, right at the beginning, I remember a pub chain that I shall not name, um, but they were criticised for basically getting rid of all of their employees the first time they thought that there was going to be anything difficult to deal with. And a movement was created not to use them, and it was called Never Spoons by this group of people who said, we're, we're going to stand up uh, against this company. Now, we have short memories. Yeah. And, you know, recently you've seen pictures of pubs that are rammed. And I bet you that company will be reasonably busy. And I think it's going to be really interesting to see how long-lasting people's perspective of some of these organizations is going to be. I can relate to it personally. I had um, flights booked with EasyJet. And again, I don't know if you remember, but right at the beginning, EasyJet were not very friendly about giving money back and allowing you to change flights and all that sort of stuff. And I struggled because I don't tend to give up easily on that sort of thing. And uh, eventually I got it sorted out. At that time, I felt really badly towards the company. And I was thinking, do you know what, Alan, a decision you could make now is not to use them again on the basis of this experience. Now we're starting to think about traveling again and next year and all that sort of thing. And I'm thinking to myself, if there is a reasonable alternative, then I definitely will not use them. But what if it's going to cost me 500 quid more to go to the same place. How much am I really going to remember that or not? And so if I'm behaving in that way or not behaving in that way, and I attach a whole lot of importance to values, then what are people going to do who perhaps place less attention on it? Uh, the, in terms of the research, however, uh, there is quite a lot being written about how people's experience over the pandemic time is actually more deep-rooted than previously. And using that example of EasyJet, I think I'm more steeled not to use them mm. than I have been when I've been upset by companies previously. So it's not a straight answer to your question, Gemma. Yeah. But I think that people at this time for a couple of main reasons are going to be more true to their intention. The first is that the pandemic has made us really ask ourselves the question, what is important to me? And secondly, people are starting to understand that it is important to be who you want to be and it's your choice. But if you're making choices to, to use that pup, that behaved like that, what does that say about you? And I, th I think, you know, on a, on a, a more sort of serious example, you mentioned Boohoo in, in, as, an, in, as an example in, in that particular chapter. But even though the allegations of modern day slavery were found to be substantially true, I read their sales and profits saw an increase of 41% from 1.2 billion to 1.7 billion just at the year ending February 
this year. And now they're linking their ESG bonuses, uh, bonus, linking their bonuses to ESG targets. So, you know, this makes us really question the values. And I think, as you say, it's about people really digging deep and going, why would I shop with Boohoo? Yeah, I think that's right. And again, it comes down to this um, point of pragmatism because no company in the world is able to say that it is a paragon of virtue. No. Because you're in business. And so you have to make decisions sometimes that where you have, I don't like the term conflicting values, but competing values we have to live with all the time. Now, a company like Boohoo, if they discover something and if they then are seen to really address that and if they're transparent about how they've done it and they can demonstrate an improvement, then I say good luck to them. Um, it's the company that says one thing and behaves in a different way are the ones that I think I, I dislike. Yeah. Uh, also, I'm not a person to judge when it comes to value. So I think it's quite easy to uh, move from the value space to the ethics space. And so you start talking about, well, what is right and what is wrong? I don't think that's for me to say. So if a company wants to be all about profit and wants to be about creating wealthy employees, then for me, that's fine. But just don't say one thing and do another. Yeah, don't pretend to be something you're not. Yeah. Yeah. And that's such a valid, that's such a valid aspect, isn't it? And I suppose when it comes back to those values and consumer behavior, often that's about accessibility. As you say, it's there, there will be a price. Sometimes there isn't anywhere else to go, you know, that, that you are almost forced into a corner. And we know, we've said this many times on the podcast. Hey, humans are kind of inherently lazy. And so we, if it starts to hurt too much, we will just go with the flow. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll take the easier option. I mean, I have a, a perfect example myself where I have actually dug my heels in, in a with a telecom situation. But it's meant that we have been in a lot of pain, not a lot of pain physically, but, you know, to, to various aspects, because I am being kind of bloody minded and saying, no, I am not dealing with that organization. They were awful in, in dealing with our, our situation. And I just don't want to give them a penny more of my money. Um, but because of that, it has been eight, 10, 12 weeks of, of, of challenge that ordinarily we wouldn't have had to do. Now, most people aren't prepared to go through that, as you, as you said, you know, and we will look for those, those easier options. But I suppose when it comes to organizations saying one thing and doing another thing, then that, that's where marketing is often implicated, isn't it? Because it's the brand story. It's the promotional aspects of, of saying that this is what we do um, and this is who we are and this is how we operate uh, and this is the great stuff that we're doing versus the reality. You know, that's where the greenwashing challenges come in. And, and of course, marketing is, is heavily implicated in that. Yeah, I think... For me, the traditional marketing function is maybe not dead, but dying because you can't do that anymore because of the three C's that we talked about. And I use the example of, you know, imagine, uh, you know, 
pandemic aside, imagine that you meet somebody in a bar and you start talking and you ask them, where do you work? And they tell you company X, Y, Z. And you say, oh, what's it like working there then? What do they do? Do they go on their phone and go to the website of the company and go to the careers page and show you the official values and all the wonderful stuff that's written there? Or do they tell you about their personal lived experiences? Absolutely the latter. And also, what do you believe? Do you believe what's on the website or do you believe what this person has told you? You believe what the person has told you. So for me, the official marketing stuff is kind of not particularly valuable. I, I think of marketing now as being more about creating awareness and enabling the stakeholders to tell their authentic stories. That's how it can be most effective. And, and marketing needs to absolutely feed back into the organizational strategy and, you know, what consumers want, what they're seeing out there, what employees want, and, and ensure that the communication is sound. And I think one of the things that we keep we keep asking and debating is how do you present that balanced business case? So you've got people, profit, and planet. And to your example, if you're an organization that is purely focused on profit, the reality is, is external factors are going to have to force the people and planet part to come in at some point. How do you go in there and as a, is the marketing part as a CMO and say, you know, people and planet need to come into that. And they say, well, as long as it doesn't affect the profit and it, it, every organization will have to make some form of shift because in 10, 15, 20 years time, what's the point? You know, your profit is irrelevant if the planet and people change substantially if we go over this climate, you know, change target and tipping point? Yeah, absolutely. And for me, again, it's about doing what you say. So marketing is not about persuasion anymore. It's about making sure that everything that happens in the organization is informed by its values. Yeah. Because if it's not then it will not be perceived as authentic and people won't want to have the connection and the relationship with it. You know, when we talk about sustainability in, in, in a few of the models that we put in a, our book and, and some of the work that we've done post the book, we talk about looking at all of these critical aspects of a business through a sustainability lens and what you're talking about. But, but we, at the very heart of the model, we, align, we call it purpose. So I suppose my question to you is purpose values. You know, are they different? Because for me, it's sounding like, you, you, you know, when you think about, we always talk about businesses going back to the heart of why do we exist? What are we here for? And, and we position that as what, what's your purpose? You know, why did you, why did you set this business up in the first place? Was it purely just to make pots of money and, and go and buy a house in Miami? Or, or what was, what was the purpose? Were you solving a problem? What, what was it? And, and it's kind of, for lots of organizations, veering off that track of why they why they really set out to do what they did and coming back to those values aligned with the reason. So for me, purpose and values seem very inextricably linked, but you're smiling there, Alan. Not everybody will be able to see that lovely smile on our, on our podcast, but tell me then about values purpose. Yeah, the reason I'm smiling is because I I, I refer to purpose and values as besties. So they're, 
they're best friends and they're they're a bit like Laurel and Hardy or Astaire and Rogers or Salt and Pepper. You know, you take one away and you're lost. Yeah. They, they have to sit side by side. And for me, purpose is the, the higher purpose is the why. Why do you exist? And then the values is how do we want to be? And the, the way that I like to describe how the how is so important is through a sporting metaphor. So I, I really enjoy football or uh, if people listening to this are in the USA, it's soccer. And um, imagine two football teams. They both want to win their division or the cup or whatever it is. Imagine that one team has a philosophy of we have the meanest defense. So we're not going to concede a goal. And we hope that we're going to just get one opportunity to score. And in that way, we're going to be successful. Another team says, we just want to play fast flowing, attractive football for our fans. All we care about is scoring more goals than the other team. We don't really care how many we let in because we know that we're going, we've got such brilliant forwards that we're going to score more goals than them. Imagine how different the experience is playing for one versus the other or watching one versus the other. Mm. And yet their purpose is the same, but their values are very, very different. So for me, the purpose is why do you exist? And the values are how are we going to go about what we want to achieve? Yeah, I suppose how are we going to show that purpose in every single thing that we do? And, and the values are almost like that, you know, this is your sense check. You can always come back to those values, can't you? Say, is this on value? Is this aligned with our value? Does, it helps with your decision making. It helps with the partnerships that you find uh, and found. It, it, it helps with it helps with the people you recruit, how you recruit them. As you as you said, it, it kind of touches every single fabric of the organization, doesn't it? If you're truly living those values. Yeah, Michelle, I, I would use a stronger word than help. I would use the word drive or lead yeah. uh, because they can't, they can't just be there to, he to help. No. They, they must be absolutely the way that you do it. There's a great story. I never found out whether this was a, an urban myth or not, but the story is about a company in the northeast of England and one of their values is trust. And uh, it gets to the final sign-off of their capital expenditure budget. And on the list, there's a million pound investment in clocking in and clocking out technology. And one of the directors, brave person, said, hold on a minute. Is, how is this in line with our value of trust? And quite clearly it isn't. And they made the choice not to invest that million pounds and put it somewhere else. And that's how I believe values should be used. We've probably all, sadly, I, I, can, I can only speak for myself, you know, worked with an organisation where they have spent literally months putting these values together, bringing the team on board to develop these values, putting the values names on meeting rooms uh, and, you know, and having the posters all around the offices, but actually not living really through those values and and there is that disconnect isn't there as you said it can't be the pr gloss and that's internally as well as externally but unfortunately there there is this disconnect so how how have you found that because there are 
you know, values, as you say, organizations will say, well, we've got our values, we've got our mission statement, we know what our why is. But how, how in your experience, do, you, do people or do you help people or do people actually drive and live these values? Because that is, that's the, that's the difference between saying what you do and, and not yeah, absolutely. And I, I, I don't know whether you've come across it, but I use the phrase values are for living, not laminating. Oh, I love that. Yeah. And, it, you know, it is not about the posters on the wall or the mouse mats. It's about the behavior. And for me, it's about conscious daily practice. That's the only way to do it. Because yeah. otherwise, because we live in such a busy world, it is relatively easy to become distracted and just respond and react to what's going on around you unless you hold true your values and consciously decide to make decisions based on them. So I think of it in terms of being, you know, you're a boat on the waves being tossed around or you're staying true to your course. And even if you have to make a slight adjustment because of the weather or, you know, strong winds or whatever, you know where you're going and you will maintain the course. Or you can just satisfy yourself with remaining afloat and just being tossed around all over the place. So I and the 31 practices approach that I use does just that. So imagine a company with either hundreds or thousands of employees all consciously practicing behavior which is explicitly connected to one of the organizational values every single day and the neuroscience of that is through that conscious repeated practice it will become embedded and then from the outside it will be perceived as the values being alive yeah so with with all of this talk about values tell us about world values day and uh, what it entails and why you set it up yeah, World Values Day is uh, a wonderful occasion. Like you say, it's not supposed to be a substitute for living our values on an ongoing basis, but it's a, it is a celebration at a moment in time. So uh, this arose as a result of um, work with colleagues in the UK Values Alliance and Global Values Alliance, and the idea of World Values Day came up. We decided um, that it would offer people a fantastic window to display all of the good work that is happening around the world in values. But we kind of realize that it can sometimes be fragmented and therefore not uh, as loud as it might otherwise be. So this was a way to amplify that voice. We celebrate World Values Day throughout the whole of the month of October as well, because that, that way we get more return on our effort but world values day is the 21st of october and it's really a way for people to have the chance to be more aware more conscious of what's important to them their values and to put them into practice mm -hmm. and every year we have a theme so this year because of the pandemic uh, we felt that reconnecting with values would be a really a useful theme for people to be able to enjoy and we've got a number of different initiatives that people can join in with or they can create their their own activities so to give you a flavor for instance on the 21st of october there's a values a thon which is a 24-hour series of rolling events that happen that are happening all over the world virtually uh, there's a 
fun card game which stimulates values-led conversation called Values Jam. So basically, uh, people play it either in pairs or small groups. You choose a values card, and on the reverse, there are some questions that you uh, answer through conversation. And um, that's wonderful. We uh, we're expecting them to be delivered probably next month, and we've had some fantastic trial conversations. There's also a, a global poetry showcase with the theme uh, reconnecting with values. So we're inviting communities to ask their members to write poetry and perform poetry on that theme, and then choose nominations that they will put forward for further consideration. And uh, we've got a panel of poets to identify 100 poems in each category, which will then be voted on by everybody that's taken part in the initiative. And there are other things as well. So there's just loads of stuff that people can join in, either at an individual level or a community level or from an organisational perspective. Sounds fantastic. Yeah, I, I love the sound of those those values jam cards. I mean, what a great what a great initiative just to because people will say, oh, yeah, I've done my values piece. I know what my values are. But are we living them daily? It's the same thing, isn't it? If we're not living them, how can we align with them through the organizations that, that we work with? And as marketers, you know, one of the things Gemma and I created a, a sustainable marketer manifesto, and that is a commitment to kind of educate yourself around sustainability and to question internally whether or not you're doing good business, you know, and and you mentioned the world the word earlier when talking about the trust value and, and that and that story that you told about them saying about the, the clocking in and clocking out. Well, this goes against our values, but it takes courage, doesn't it, for people to stand up to say, you know what, we're saying one thing, but we're doing another. We really need to get back on track with that. And, you know, we're championing marketers to be the eyes and ears on what's going right and what's not going right. And to say, I am not giving my voice or this brand's voice to something that that is that isn't doing what we say we were going to be doing. And that's going to take a lot of courage for marketers to 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 take that ground. But that is that is the that is the path we're on. Yeah, I, I agree with you about the courage, but I think there is light at the end of the tunnel because, you know, what would you, as a marketer, yeah, would you rather be the master of persuasion or the master of authenticity? Mm. You know, I think the second is far more compelling for people. And I, I haven't um, thought this through yet. It only came to me this morning when I was thinking about this call. But I'm thinking of um, a metaphor which is something to do with marketing used to be a veneer, so something that you put on something to make it look a bit better, whereas the future of marketing is actually about stripping back yeah. so that you see the core. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't know what you guys think of that. But well, well, you know what I say, which is, is, isn't probably as elegant as anything that you're going to come up with, Alan. But I say very simply, you can't make a silk purse out of a sow's ear. <laughs> and and so, you know, you need to sort out 
the the root so that you don't need to be making a silk purse because the sow's ear is just perfectly great, you know, because if that's that's the perfect part of the anatomy that it needs to be, you don't need to be making a silk purse out of it. And, you know, it's not elegant, but for me, that's what I've always kind of sat with. Oh, I love but, that. I love that. And I think if, if, you know, if you look at, if you, if the generational thing and the values and, and how those generations are coming through want to live um, and the world that they want to live in. You know, if we want to inspire them to come into marketing as a profession, it's got to be as a movement that creates change and drives change for better, not a career move that, as you say, glosses over stuff and sells people stuff. Because that's not fundamentally what marketing was designed to do. It's become that. So, you know, we've got to inspire that movement to come in, come into marketing, be a marketer, because you know what, you can be part of the change and you can be part of the progress in improving the world once we have started to make considerable change. So me and Shell and I are absolutely on a mission to, to bang that drum. So we love to ask our guests the same three questions when we wrap up the podcast. So I'm going to start with a pretty big question, but these are our kind of quick fire questions. So in your view, Alan, can marketing save the planet? If it's lucky. If it's lucky, like that. And what do you hope business looks like in 10 years time? No cheats. No cheats. Perfect. And if you had one piece of advice to a marketer, an organization that is listening in to our podcast around what they could do to, I suppose, clean up their values, what would it be? Be true to them everywhere. Be true to them everywhere. Perfect. Alan Williams, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast. I've thoroughly enjoyed learning so much more about the economy. Where can people find out more about the work that you do and um, your book? Well, they can go to www.servicebrandglobal.com. That's the website. Uh, The books are on there, but all the books are on Amazon as well. So that's easy to do. And it's been a great conversation. I've really enjoyed your questions today. Thank Thank you you so much for being with us. And we'll make sure all those links are in the show notes. So thank you once again. We look forward to seeing you on the next episode of the Can Marketing Save the Planet podcast. 